With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford. And joining me today, we've got Danny Russell on the podcast. Hey, Brett. And making her Raise Your Voice debut, she is the founder and lone writer at ScoutGirlReport.com. It's Andrea Arcadopani. Andrea, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, we, we've all kind of seen your, your website and your Twitter account kind of blow up over the last couple of weeks. And really, I, I want to hear more about how you started ScoutGirlReport.com. Um, maybe how you found yourself becoming a Rays fan way back in the day and, and kind of just hear a little bit more about you. Sure. So um, I'm from New York originally. So I actually, the first few years of my life, I was a Yankees fan uh, with my cousin. And one day he turned to me and said that it's too boring to root for the Yankees. We're going to pick the last place Devil Rays. So I memorized the roster. I was eight years old, I think. And um, I started watching the games. He would quiz me every week on whether or not I was keeping up with the team. And uh, once I was in college, I started following them a little more into the stats aspect. And I thought it would be fun to start a baseball blog and get some thoughts out there. Favorite player from those early Devil Rays days? Um, I mean, Longoria is an obvious one. Um, I also really liked Matt Garza for some reason yeah. uh, way back then. Uh, I liked watching him pitch and I think he was the beginning. I favor pitchers uh, for my favorite players typically. So I think he was the beginning of that. Same. I was a big Brad Boxberger guy a few years back. So. No. <laughs> we- oh, come on. That was a great opportunity to name drop a pitcher everyone respects. <laughs> hey, Sorry, Major Brad. League say- I was thinking you were going to say James Shields. Maybe you would. Oh, I like those guys too. Casimir. They're no Brad Boxberger. There oh no Brad Boxberger enthusiasts outside of the Brad Boxberger like family. And Brett Rutherford. <laughs> okay. Do you have the emoji jersey? Is that why you're committed? I don't. It's a piece of memorabilia I'm still still chasing. So okay, maybe okay. one day. I'll I'll reach out to Brad, see if he can hook me up. Um, He's a but, longtime listener. <laughs> Andrea, really, w- 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 the first the big tweet that I really saw kind of blow up on, on your Twitter profile and on your site was talking about Ryan Yarbrough's arbitration case. It's now got over 100,000 views on Twitter. Uh, it was really just a perfect job, like breaking down the arbitration process. Uh, listeners will remember we had Jared Ward on a couple months back to kind of explain what arbitration was. And now that the arbitration process has played out for the most part, uh, we can talk about how it went down for the Rays. And Andrea, talk to me a little bit about what went into that Ryan Yarbrough article slash video. Definitely. So arbitration and contracts have always been something that's been of interest to me. And I feel like there's a lot of aspects of arbitration that fans don't know about and they don't understand how the process works, how the teams come up with these numbers. So when they find out their favorite player lost, they tend to get, you know, angry 
or you know frustrated which in, in certain cases it's understandable but there is a method to how the team came up with that number and that's kind of what i was trying to show through that video and after it started picking up some steam i just couldn't believe how much it took off um but yeah so that was kind of the goal of that and I think I came up with a pretty good estimate for how the Rays came up with uh, their 2.3 million for him. And yeah. I mean, I was pumped about it because I did not arrive at the conclusion you reached to. I definitely thought $3 million was very fair. And I felt like I had gone through the process. I had felt like I'd gone through player comps and made the correct assumptions and came to the end of that and felt like I agreed with his agent's position. So how did you go about doing that then differently? Not uh, very similar to what you put on the site, legitimately taking super two guys who had a certain a number of years and a certain level of performance. But there was a very important equation that I, I had made an assumption. I had made a leap in my brain that the courts clearly were not going to make. And that was assuming 2020 was a normal season. And the article, as you're putting it on D-Ray's Bay, um, at the end kind of gets into that, where it's possible that uh, his agent was coming from. We did not speak to Yarbrough's camp uh, to, to vet out the process, but it seems pretty clear that they had their own player comps that they were using, such as Manea or whatever. And those players, though, had full-length seasons. So when you did it... Uh, there was a difference between if 2020 had been a full season or if it had been a shortened season, right? Definitely. Yeah. There were two ways that it could have been done, just taking the numbers as they were or trying to extrapolate by multiplying by that 2.7 factor to make up for the rest of the games. I think the problem with that ended up being that those are hypothetical numbers. So there's no guarantee that Yarbrough would have reached them, especially the ERA and, and, you know, games played, innings pitched, all that, those minor little details. So I think that's why maybe they ultimately sided with just treating it as, as it is 60 games. And from the beginning in my own personal process, which we did not put on the site. So the vetting of that is just this conversation. Um, but uh, as Ian was writing about it, I, we considered going through the process and his article was already like 2000 words. So I told him no. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I mean, he had he had a great theoretical article about why uh, Yarbrough's arbitration could be uh, precedent setting because of how he was treated as a pitcher. And it almost raises moral questions. It raises legal questions. It raises arbitration questions. And if the courts sided with him, it was going to be interesting. But taking the thousand foot view and saying, no, it wasn't a full season. The stats you have are the stats you have is really funny to me because all of the big questions that we were asking went unanswered because the courts just didn't care. At the end of the day, it was just, what did you total over the number of games played? And the thing that wrecked him was 2020, not the early stuff, not the opener. It wasn't, you know, getting dinked around as a bulk guy and whether or not he had enough games started at that period of time it's the hundred games that were missing that he didn't get a chance to be a starting pitcher through that actually led to him losing out on a million this year. And that will uh, have a compounding effect over the next three seasons. Definitely. And I think that brings up a really good point where a lot of the comps that I had him 
with um, he had similar career innings pitched. Like he, even though it was a shortened season, and even though he played this weird hybrid role, he was still matching up with some of the starting pitchers, which I thought was unbelievable. So it's it's too bad that we'll never know how that would have ended up if it had been a full 162 games. Yeah, I, I feel like this was like a really great opportunity. We had, we had talked about it all offseason. The arbitration goes back to 2018 and all the criticisms the Rays got for deploying the opener and using Ryan Yarbrough as the main bulk pitcher headliner in that system. And yeah, you look at 2020, like statistically, again, small sample size, but his best season in the big leagues. And a little bit unfortunate, but he is a Super 2 player, so he's going to get to go through, uh, he potentially gets to go through this process three more times. And going to be really interesting to see kind of how he progresses through that. Obviously, a big 2021 for him coming up. But, yeah, great stuff. And I mean, non-zero chance he's the number two in the rotation of a likely playoff team. Right. Uh, depending on what you make of the AL East. <laughs> well, like this year, yeah, like that's huge. You lose Charlie Morton and Blake Snell his role kind of elevates, even if it's not the number two pitcher, even if he's not the second best starter statistically, because we know the Rays probably have plans to cut innings, or not cut innings, but try to slowly bring their guys back up because of the fact that Ryan Garber only threw 55 and two-thirds innings in 2020. But you look at what they've done to the rotation, and, and Ryan Yarbrough's role is going to have to elevate to some extent. You're going to have to get linked from somebody. The whole rotation can't be bolt guys, particularly because... Uh, actually, this is a this is a great transition, right? So the the rotation looked like it was going to be Glass now and Yarbrough, and then just a bunch of bulk. Like, are they going to get eighteen outs? Maybe not. Maybe it's something less. You know, uh, one to two times through the order, and then that's it. But now, over the last week, we've started to see a very traditional bullpen approach. Um, the the news of the day is the race of re-signed Chaz Rowe for just over a million dollars, which is a fantastic price point. But that creates a whole list of pitchers that are not going to be on the Durham shuttle that will not be part of a revolving door. And so it's an open question as to just how many pitchers the Rays are going to carry and whether or not they will have a revolving door at this point. Yeah, and you look at the guys that like do have options and they're like your A bullpen, like Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo, Pete Fairbanks and yeah, the guys on the lower end of the bullpen, those are you guys, you can't really move. You got a DFA or trade or hope they pass through waivers. But yeah, Andrew, what were your thoughts on the signing of, of Chaz Rowe this, this late in the off season? Yeah, I was definitely surprised. Um, well, first I was actually also surprised that they traded Aaron Sluggers um, back then, whenever that was a couple months ago. Now um, I Most really think hero, he Aaron Sluggers. <laughs> he um I thought he did pretty well last year so I I don't know but they have so many bullpen guys I really didn't think much of it at the time and now we have even more options and I'm excited to watch Chaz Rose slider again but I wasn't expecting them to make that move yeah the only thing with more uh Twitter views than uh than your videos in the Rays blogosphere is definitely just Chaz Rowe definitely it <laughs> goes viral like once a month yeah, the Sluggers trade was very surprising because he provided length in the playoffs successfully, saved uh, the Rays' A bullpen in games where they were losing so that the Rays could come back around and use those guys in competitive moments. And I do not know how Ryan Sheriff persists on this Rays roster. Uh, I mean, decent pitcher, 
he's a lefty. So you throw out the fact that he only throws 92. It's not as big of a deal anymore. But the Rays have Cody Reed on the roster. And Cody Reed is a better Ryan Sheriff. He throws four or five miles an hour harder and has the exact same stuff. Two seamer with 10 inches of horizontal movement and a slider that he can throw for strikes. Sheriff potentially throws for strikes, you know, and it's softer stuff. Like you already have this on the roster unless you have like, I don't know why you would waste a 40 man roster spot on a Cody Reed backup. Uh, I don't, I don't see how they can both exist on the roster at the same time. When you've also got a guy coming up like Shane McClanahan, who you used out of the bullpen in the postseason, Yeah. I think the Rays hope he's a starter uh, and at worst, they hope he's at least a, a left-handed reliever, but that's another guy with options they could have on the big league staff at some point this season, whether or not it's as a bulk role, because there's been, some health issues, which there always is, or in the bullpen if they want to use him there. But uh, Andrea or Danny, it was really for either of you, like how do you guys see Shane McClanahan fitting into the big league staff this season? Uh, I always thought uh, that he was going to be a starter, but I kind of agree with you that now we've filled up the the starting positions a little bit more that I think we'll see him maybe as a bulk or late inning guy. But um, I think that he, the fact that he's a lefty is going to help out a lot. Um, but I don't know. I'm excited to watch him play and get to know him a bit better. There's a there's a lot more leniency for being a lefty. <laughs> uh, if you have quality stuff in some regard, you persist like Ryan Sheriff. But I, I I don't know. I think starting is probably going to be where he stays until he can't. There's enough, uh, bull, especially right now, all of the non-roster invites uh, on the bullpen side. It's, it's really impressive. I imagine he just stays a starter in camp and you see what happens. And because that's an easy transition at any time. Anytime you can switch over to a relief role and it doesn't take that long to lock into it, unless you're one of those guys who takes forever to warm up, right? Because there's a few of those. If you can't warm up quickly, you know, whatever. But he already showed an ability to pitch out of the bullpen in the playoffs. Actually, did he have a World Series appearance? I think he did. He had one, at least one. I so, one, I want to say. I mean, if you're a World Series reliever, like... <laughs> Yeah, you've proven that you can warm up and you can make it happen. So I think that's always available to him, and he probably starts until he can't. And, and I think this year, they, they're really, especially with the major league signings they've made, they've brought in Chris Archer, Colin McHugh, Rich Hill. All without they, options because they're major league signings. Exactly. And you look at what they want to do with those young guys like Josh Fleming, who had a big role for a good chunk of the 2020 regular season. He's going to be in AAA this year, most likely, to start unless there's other injury issues. And they're going to have a guy like McClanahan, McKay, once he's healthy, Brent Honeywell at some point, assuming he's good to go by the time the season starts. They really want to try to to stretch these guys out uh, in AAA back to starters' innings because there was, there was no minor league season last year. Like, the guys that weren't on the big league team, like Shane McClanahan wasn't until the postseason, they weren't pitching in real game situations. They were there at the alternate training site, but we really have no no clue what was going on down there. And internally, like they can only see so much from these scrimmages and from these bullpens and stuff. Yeah, those aren't competitive situations. So even if you have, uh, you know, there'll be whispers of, oh, this guy's exit velocity was X. Or if you're reading the notes in detail on fan graphs on the top 80 players or whatever they had to put out for the race system because it's stacked, right? It'll be like, well, uh, Eric will be uh, – Long, long hanging. I can't say his last name. Come on. Loggenhagen, maybe? Lo, lo, long boy. I'm calling him. <laughs> uh, 
it, Longboy will have a write-up and it'll be like, yeah, it wasn't great results in the alternate training site, but also those are non-competitive situations. So who cares, right? You have, but then on the flip side, the Rays are trading for guys who had a really good, you know, showing in the alternate training site showcases like Blake Hunt. So I don't know. There's a give and take there. I'm very suspicious of any 2020 stats that are not at the major league level. Well, Chaz Rowe wasn't the only move the Rays made. They also made a trade, uh, include, uh, one with the Boston Red Sox for that matter. And we'll talk about that trade in just a second after we take a quick ad break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back on Raise Your Voice talking about the Ronaldo Hernandez trade. At one point, the top catching prospect in the Rays system. He's now with the Boston Red Sox. Andrea, like, what was your initial reaction to this trade? Um, my reaction was that we're going to see a lot more of Francisco Mejia, um, but <laughs> which I'm pretty excited about. I, I was excited to see him, um, unfortunately, before he was traded to the Red Sox, but I think that there's potential for him. I have a feeling Danny disagrees with me. <laughs> no, don't tell me, tell me. This is, this is why we have uh, a masthead that is diverse, uh, both in terms of people and perspective, right? So the two things I feel like I've been potentially wrong about this offseason is one, I thought Yarbrough deserved more money. You got me there. And then two, you're, I mean, you're a little bit of a Mejia stand. So tell me what's up with Francisco Mejia. Why do I not need to just like pray for rain every time he's in the roster? Um, you know what? I, I just think he was so highly regarded at one point and I mean, he had a 50 game hitting streak in the minors, which I just think is unbelievable. Um, and from everything that his coaches and scouting reports have said about him, it's just all super positive. Like his ceiling is so high. And even though he hasn't reached it in the majors yet, he's been playing non-consistently. Um, he was fighting for a starting catcher position in uh, San Diego for a while. So I don't know. I think that the Rays, like when things move a little slower, when the coaches work with them a little differently than and he sees that catching spot up for grabs, I think he'll come around and, and get there. I mean, I, the bat has versatility as well, which I think is going to be appreciated off the bench um, uh, as a switch. I, I, I presume he's going to be switch hitting for the Rays. And the arm is elite. I definitely mm. give him that. Uh, I'm just so burned by Reed Brignac. I now have like in my evaluation of players, like a Brignac rule. Um, you know, sometimes it comes up in Twitter conversations, but it'll be like, okay, what's the Rays roster in 2022? And people will go crazy. They'll be like, yeah, it's going to be Franco, Walls, Bruhan, and Edwards are all going to play shortstop. It's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> and Reed Brignac has taught us, like, you have a very well-regarded prospect in your system, and one of those is going to bust. Maybe two of them. Very hard, and there'll be nothing. And then on the flip side, you'll find a Brandon Lau, and it just breaks your brain because he's 5'9", 160. And... The best power hitter on the team. <laughs> to the fifth level in Toronto that break your brain, right? So I, I'm worried that Mejia is in the Brignac zone. 
Uh, the good thing about Mejia, though, and I know there's questions about the defense. Like he is a catcher; he doesn't have to be great to be good. If that makes sense, that does. Make I'm very, sense. I'm very down on most catchers in all of baseball, except for JT Realmuto. To me, they're all the same. Um, so I, 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 I'm a little bit optimistic about Mejia, but that might be wishful thinking. I do want to talk a little bit more about Ronaldo Hernandez. Sure. We got the one big highlight last year in the televised intra-squad game, where he had a home run. And I think also a triple in that. Was he two for two with a home run and a triple? Comes in in that game. Uh, I think a guy that, with the cancellation of the 2020 minor league season, is going to hurt him, well, at least in the way the Rays valued him internally, more than most prospects. This is a guy who had a great 2018. That's how he became the Rays' top catching prospects. You start to view him as the catcher of the future. Then in 2019, in Port Charlotte, in that high A level, really struggled at the plate. And I don't know what was being seen in the alternate training site. He was on the 40-man roster last year to protect him from the World 5 draft. He was on the taxi squad quite a few times. So it seemed like, all, for all intents and purposes, the Rays valued him as a potential big league catcher. Like, what do you guys think changed over the last few months? He, uh, well, for one, the Rays traded for a better catching prospect in their mind. And that was Blake Hunt, who came over in the Padres trade. Thanks, Padres. Uh, wait, how many trades have there been with the Padres? Is that the same trade as the Mejia trade? Yes, yeah. that was all in one. My brain just uh, totally <laughs> this off season. It's the same. It's the same trade. Okay. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, uh, the Rays are talking about Blake Hunt in a way I've never heard them talk about a catching prospect of being like, "Yeah, this is our future everyday catcher. His name is Blake." Uh, no one said that about Ronaldo. And although he was definitely getting um, the developmental milestones that he should have, uh, the Rays were desperate at the catching position for all of 2019 and 2020. There were lots of opportunities for Ronaldo to be rushed to the majors, maybe a little too soon, but to answer the call and kind of maybe he's there just a little bit early. That's not unheard of for a catching prospect. Sometimes catching prospects get rushed because you can hit 120 and, and no one cares. Uh, the Rays had Jesus Sucre on the roster for like five years. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter what he was going to hit. And so if he had the potential to be a major league catcher, I feel like he already would have by, by now. Um, as for the bat and its potential in hitting home runs, though, uh, what's interesting here is Heim Bloom was able to say, well, this dude can definitely hit home runs to left field. And so if there's any ballpark that's going to be good for him, it's in Boston. So I think that's one interesting connection on his bat when you're talking about him hitting a homer. But the Rays needed catchers. Mikey Perez, uh, more power to you, buddy. He's now on the Pirates. Uh, he had a couple nice clutch moments for the Rays in competitive moments. Uh, he is not an everyday catcher ever. So I don't know what the Rays were doing keeping Hernandez in the minors if he is a major league catcher andrea any any final thoughts on ronaldo before we go to the we talk about the return a little bit uh not on ronaldo but um blake hunt was an interesting person to bring up i just i feel like there's so little information on him i find it surprising that they find him so highly regarded um didn't i believe that he was struggling in the minors offensively that's an understatement oh really i haven't i need to look at his numbers again but he did okay job at throwing out runners, if I remember, like around a third of them or so. And yeah, he took back was and hitting, for sure. Okay. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> 
but he got a new swing during the 2020 off season. Uh, you know, some people use their pandemic in different ways. Taylor Swift decided to record two albums, right? Uh, Blake <laughs> Thank <Hunt> God. <laughs> they're great albums. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a big national fan. So it's the national with Taylor Swift singing instead. I'm in like, there's, there's no problem. Uh, Aaron Desner is fantastic. Anyway, uh, Blake Hunt reinvented his swing and was hitting completely differently in Instructs, which I guess trust your scouts at that point. At the end of the day, the, uh, we've talked about this so many times, the Rays need to trust their people. And if they say, um, hey, I saw this guy pitch or I saw this guy hit and he's someone completely different or he's being used in completely the wrong way um, or he's got a fastball that would kill at the top of the zone and he's not using it there, let's give it a shot. Um, there's, and it, and it becomes Tyler Glass now, right? <laughs> or something like that. Uh, there's tons of opportunities to just trust your people. And you have to, at the end of the day, trust your people. And Blake Hunt was a situation where the race picked up the phone and it sounded like he was the player they demanded. Um, when the Padres came calling for Blake Snell, they were like, we have a pile of prospects we're willing to move in various trades. And some of those prospects moved to the Cubs when they traded for you Darvish. Like that's not, uh, not a big surprise. The other names that were mentioned along the way. Um, it seems like the Rays were interested in, you know, one of their young starting pitchers. I don't think Patino was a demand. Blake Hunt was a demand. So it, there's a, in my mind, there's a lot writing on this catching prospect. But yeah, let's talk about the return. Well, let's start with, with Jeffrey Springs. I think this is the guy that has the most potential to contribute to the big league team early on. Not to say that Chris Mazza won't. But let's talk about the left-handed pitcher Jeffrey Springs a little bit. Andrea, do you think he's going to play a role in the bullpen this year, the big league bullpen right away this year? Uh, honestly, I need to look more into him. I I'm not sure. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean that's fine, right? Nor nor should you be expected to even know that Jeffrey Springs is available for trade, right? Um, <laughs> you know, this was an interesting trade also because. Um, in anticipation for these two players, they were going to trade to the Rays. Heimblum DFA'd them, which put them into like this 10-day countdown, but DFA'd them off of the 40-man roster so that the Red Sox could sign other players. The Red Sox had already agreed to trade these two pitchers to the Rays. And so there's an interesting narrative perspective from very dialed-in Rays fans who look at this and say, okay, two pitchers designated for assignment and we traded a former top 100 caliber catching prospect like what are we doing here um this was a very good trade for both sides because the rays are returning pitchers that they can do something with that have all the pieces for them to harness and make something a little bit different and something new but and while dealing away uh, a prospect who was losing value to one of the only people outside the race who could understand the way the Rays value this catching prospect and understand the positives that other people don't see from the outside. That's Heim Bloom who knew what Hernandez was and knew that the Rays would like these two pitchers. So he DFAs them early, right? Uh, your question about does Springs pay a role? Probably. If the Rays want to carry multiple left-handed pitchers, if they want two lefties on the roster, uh, I think Springs is in and I think they will because Springs is the opposite of what Cody Reed and uh, Ryan Sheriff bring. The two of them are bringing a two-seam fastball that's got 10 inches of horizontal movement. 
from the left side, Springs has 10 inches of vertical movement. So that's that fastball that should be playing high in the zone. And the Rays love that. If you've watched Rays baseball in the last five years, you know that's the bread and butter uh, of what this roster looks for and, and prioritizes. So if there's two lefties in, yeah, Springs is in for sure. Mazza, uh, Ian wrote it up on the site very well. Um, he's a bolt guy with options. So we'll see him. And, uh, you know, he's actually very interesting because from the right side, he has that 10 inches of horizontal movement. And 10 inches is the magic number, right? If you're, if you're playing in that zone, this is a, <laughs> this is a lot of cut. Um, this is a lot of movement. Um, and the Rays really seem to value that. So I think he's an interesting uh, grab, but I, I don't expect Mazza to be on the roster. He's the guy that when you forget his name by June and he's pitching on a random Thursday night, you're like, who is that guy? That's how I feel when we play the Orioles, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, we're getting uh, one hit by this dude I've never heard of. <laughs> L- looking at looking at Springs, again, very small sample size in 2020, only through 20 and a third innings, and had mm-hmm. a 7.08 ERA, so that's a glaring number, but a 3.7 xFIP and put up the highest K-to-walk ratio of his career at 4. He was averaging you know, 12.39 strikeouts per nine innings. Sure. This is a guy that, on the, like even the, just those surface-level numbers, like he has a lot of potential at the big league level. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm normally not one to get excited about relievers in general. <laughs> but the, I think he's got a lot of potential to do something special. I think that was a very targeted, expensive trade. But it also rounds out the Rays roster in a way that they needed. I mean, if you can get a a right-handed Yarbrough and a lefty with a, a fantastic forcing fastball. Like, yeah, this is a great return for the Rays. Yeah, it looks like that might be the final major league move after we get to, we talked about the Chaz Rowe signing as well, but maybe they're not done. There's a lot of time left before opening day, and we're going to take one more quick break and then talk about what we expect out of spring training. Uh, I owe Blake Hunt an apology. Uh, I went and double-checked his stats, and while uh, some of the early go of it wasn't great, by the time he was, I mean, he was in low A and class A, and low A doesn't even exist anymore. So I don't know what value <laughs> it has, but his low A WRC plus was 115. So he's performing at 15% above average as a catcher in 56 games. So 250 plate appearances. And then in 2019, it was a slight step back. So 108, so 8% above league average in class a ball over 89 games so almost 400 plate appearances that's a decent showing and that includes five tanks so or 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 homers i said tanks twice on this podcast i don't know why uh the k rate's fine he's walked like a 10 percent clip uh hunt was fine offensively for a catching prospect so i should not have said that he wasn't known for his hitting it was not the end of the world. I don't know. It's a good catching prospect. If he's better now. We'll get to see how he does in 2021 with uh, minor league baseball resuming, at least we think. So maybe we'll do a prospect update towards the middle of the season. But for right now, let's talk about spring training. Pitchers and catchers have reported workouts are well underway. And by the time this episode drops, I don't think we'll be six days away from the first spring training live action baseball game. Uh, and guys, I just got to say, like, 
this is exciting. It was a long off season. Going back to the the Blake Snell trade, I was just like, when can I actually watch games? Because you go through the off season, you hear so much crap. And you're like, I just want, once the games are back on, it's radio silence for me. I, well, not really, because I got to do this podcast. Um, but just get to watch the games and enjoy them. And now it's time for us on this podcast to raise our voices about what we expect out of spring training. Because obviously it's a big time for baseball fans. They want to hear what we think. And Danny, let's start with you. What are you looking for this spring at race camp? Yeah, is Hunter Strickland good? That's one of my key questions, because that's one of those situations where the Rays land Strickland. And uh, for some reason, MLB Trade Rumors credited me for that announcement. Uh, I was just, <laughs> you just was, saw him on the Rays roster. <laughs> I don't know. I, I got added for that. I was like, thanks guys. That's weird. Um, it was on the Rays website. Like I didn't, I did zero homework on that. I was looking at the transactions page. Um, it's a minor league deal. He doesn't have like an opt out or anything. Uh, there's no guarantee of him making the roster, but he's the quality of reliever that you expect the Rays to do something special with. But going back to our conversation about how much room there is on the Rays roster to, for him to break in, it, it's going to be challenging. Uh, I don't want to take the wind out of the sails for JT, who is going to be writing uh, an article on the pitching depth very soon. But pitchers without options are Archer, Waka, Hill, McHugh, Reed, Drake, and Rowe. Okay, you can put three of those dudes in the quote-unquote rotation, but there's a non-zero chance that coming off an injury that Archer, Walker, and Hill are just glorified relievers. Maybe McHugh is technically in the rotation, but again, not expected to, to pitch a ton. So if these are all bulk guys and the Rays are rolling with a bullpen day, three out of five, you need a lot of bulk guys. And there's not a lot of room to add that um, because Glass now is not going to get demoted. Yarbrough is not going to get demoted. And you're not getting length from Anderson, Castillo, or, or Fairbanks. So that's 12 pitchers. And you're probably only carrying 13. And we said Springs is in. I think that was 12 pitchers. Hold on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So, yeah, that's 12. And so if Springs is number 13, where, where do you add another bolt guy, let alone Hunter Strickland? So I, it's a very weird situation right now. Um, I, I, it's almost pushing me into the zone. I'm like, do you cut Yoshi? Like, where do you find room? You're not going to demote Brasso. You're not going to you can't demote him. Brett Phillips. Uh, uh, Brett Phillips is going to don't be steal my thunder there, though. I got to I'll, I'll mention that later. OK, OK, OK. <laughs> I, I, I firmly believe that Brett Phillips is staying on the Rays roster, so I think he's safe. Um, so you're just running out of and then Yoshi, if you have Wendell still starting at third base like he was in the World Series. So you have four players on the bench. So I just I don't know how much room there is for these really interesting non-roster invites of which maybe the two interesting storylines for me to follow would be Strickland and uh, Kittredge. Uh, Kittredge being a uh, minor league signing who has an opt-out. So interesting for me to follow. A, a couple, Yeah, on Strickland, a couple things. One, he's living out of a camper in Port Charlotte right now attached to the back of his truck, <laughs> That's great. Uh, which, which is kind of just a funny story. Uh, I think right. I don't know if this is what the Rays' mindset was when when they brought in Strickland on this on this deal, because they've made subsequent moves since. But now he kind of seems like if a few guys' arms fall off in camp, you got hey we've got Hunter Strickland here. Oh Drake Drake is probably going to the injured list. Sorry, right? We, or did the, he already go to the injured list? 
Not yet. They got Well, they might once they make this row move official, which ha- which hasn't happened yet. Okay. And then now I'm trying to do mental math and I can't. But Hunter Strickland, a guy, if you don't just spot on the roster over someone else in camp, maybe. I mean, it would take a lot, I think. But now he kind of seems like a little bit of insurance if, which seems to happen every year, one or two guys, they find something in the elbow, in the shoulder, and they're out for, you know, a few months or more. Mm-hmm. So uh, definitely a guy with like a big league pedigree that's nice to have around. Like go back to 2018, he pitched 45 and a third innings in the big leagues, 397 ERA. The year before that, a 264 ERA. Uh, you know, he's beaming Bryce Harper. He's getting into fights. Uh, I don't know, an interesting guy to have around. Andrea, do you have any, uh, have any thoughts on, on Strickland? I was just going to say the same thing that you did about having a backup for an injury. Um, I think that's going to be huge, huge, especially following. I feel like every single pitcher we had last year got injured. So, mm-hmm. you know, any insurance that we have would be good. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Chirinos also coming back kind of? I think I think he's going to the 60-day injured list. Oh, okay. Uh, his timeline is longer than even what's expected for McKay, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what his status is, but it's not anytime soon. I think it's expected that both Torinos and Drake go to the 60-day because they still haven't even made the McHugh signing official yet. They've got to get mm. him on the 40-man roster, and him and Rowe are the two with major league deals. So that would mean Torinos and Drake need to move to the 60-day. Or another move needs to be made. Um, mm. But Andrea, spring training, what are you looking for? I am looking at Brent Honeywell. <laughs> um, yeah. I've been waiting for him for what feels like, what is it, three or four years now, four surgeries later. I was excited for him to play two years ago, and I'm even more excited for him now. So he says he feels good, and he feels like he's an actual pitcher again. So I'm excited to see what he does and if he could make a comeback and join the Major League Club at some point in his career. Yeah, I feel so bad for the guy. The last time he pitched uh, competitively was 2017 in AAA when he threw wow. 123 innings for Durham. I was a senior in high school in 2017. Um, Don't do that to me. Don't do it. <laughs> he was such a great pitcher in the minor leagues, and you just hope after so many surgeries uh, and, and so many injury problems that he's able to pitch in the big leagues because at one point he was definitely – a future big league pitcher, and I think he's going to get a chance to prove himself. He was given an extra option this year. That's oftentimes given to players that deal with like extreme injury issues, and he's had that every year that he's been on the 40-man roster. So given an extra option this year, I think, is huge for him. He can go to Durham. He can be with that group of, of young pitchers, and there's going to be a lot of them that have to pitch in Durham. I didn't even mention Luis Patino. We don't know where he's going to be on opening day. Or Joe Ryan, who's one of the better pitchers, minor league pitchers, in the system there's a lot of guys down there and for Honeywell to get a chance to one work with the big league team in camp get a chance to prove himself in Durham he's a guy that most definitely could pitch major league innings this season uh so what are you looking for this spring are you are you a Kenny Rosenberg stand like what's going on <laughs> well after today's little interaction with Kevin Cash and the, the whole Rich Hill incident uh or getting Ka- Cash mistook, mistook, right, right. Uh, to explain Kevin Cash thought the pitcher pitching was Rich Hill and it was Kenny Rosenberg as a non-roster invite um, in the minors, uh, who apparently is now calling himself Dick Mountain Jr. <laughs> uh, well, you know, all the best for Kenny Rosenberg. But what I'm looking for, what I'm looking out for, keeping an eye out for, is what they do in the outfield situation. There are seven outfielders 
on the 40-man roster, uh, four center fielders, which isn't a bad problem to have, and a couple of guys that aren't really great at defense, in my opinion, at all, and that's Austin Meadows and Yoshi Tsutsugo. But we've heard the rumors all offseason about Kevin Kiermeyer potentially being traded, and we have no idea if those are active discussions because, one, uh, I don't think the Rays— I don't, I don't think there's any other team in Major League Baseball that values Kevin Kiermeyer as much as the Rays do. We've seen that time and time again with how much they value defense and an elite defender like Kevin Kiermeyer. That's why they gave him such a big contract extension, one of the biggest in team history. So at this point, I think if they move on from him, you're going to almost be— it's going to be very similar to like a Longoria-style salary dump where maybe even you have to eat some of that deal like you did with Longoria just to make space for Margot and Phillips to be well, your platoon center fielders. As a, a counterpoint, Jackie Bradley Jr. is still out there. Right. And one interesting wrinkle in the center field market right now is that the two main suitors for Jackie Bradley Jr., are Houston and Boston, the two teams whose GMs worked for the Rays like a calendar year ago and should value Kevin Kiermaier the same way that the Rays front office values Kevin Kiermaier. So the two franchises you could possibly trade KK to that would value him the same are the two main candidates for Jackie Bradley Jr., of which only one will be able to sign. Now, with all those things said, if Houston signs JBJ and their center field situation is locked down to make up for losing Springer, I don't think Boston cares that much this year. I don't think the Red Sox are going to trade for Kiermaier, nor do I think that that's a great in-division trade. Uh, the stuff with no. Hernandez getting traded, whatever, right? You, you have yeah. a prospect that was bleeding value and you return two very useful pieces for the 2020 roster. Like That's a great trade. Figuring out moving KK doesn't make any sense in division. But if Boston no. retains JBJ and now Houston is desperate, that's a situation where I actually could see Click picking up the phone and being like, yeah, actually, uh, you know, are you still willing to move KK? And then the center field situation is Brett Phillips complimented by Margot in some kind of platoon. And I think personally... In my opinion, because we haven't seen Margot or Phillips in a full season with the Rays, especially not in center field, I think the Margot-Phillips platoon, if it, if that's what it is, unless one of them, I think I could see Margot being considered almost the everyday center fielder, especially with how well he hit towards like down the stretch and played defense. He really got settled in with the Rays. That for sure, yeah. And I, I think that in terms of production, both offensively and defensively, because we've seen great stuff and we, from Margot and Phillips at the big league level, it's almost equal to KK. And obviously right now at a much lower price and Brett Phillips is out of options. And like you said, Danny, like Brett Phillips probably is going to be on the opening day roster. So in terms of making that fit, something's got to budge here, whether it be Kevin Kiermaier, the other option is Yoshi Tsutsugo, the other player with guaranteed money in this outfield. He's got one more deal year left on his deal. They signed him out of Japan as a free agent and wasn't great in 2020, but I'm buying lots of Yoshi stock. The thing is, is pretty limited in where you can put him in the lineup. You can stick him in left field. You can stick him at your, as your DH. You can stick him at third base, but you've got Joey Wendell, Yandy Diaz, and potentially Wander Franco at some point this season. So in terms of guys that don't really fit on the roster, right now, in my gut, it feels like Yoshi doesn't fit. So really what I'm keeping an eye on is how he performs 
in spring training because this is a signing I was so excited for. This is a guy I was rooting for. I still liked a lot of what I saw out of Yoshi in 2020. And I think with one more big league season where he sees consistent at-bats, he could be a very good big league player. Andrew, what's your take on Yoshi? On Yoshi, uh, I'm out on the defense. I don't I don't see it. I don't think as well as, you know, everyone else may. Um, I don't think he'd be on the field. If anything, he should just be DHing. Um, but if we can go back to Kiermaier for a second, I think, you know, I actually don't think Boston is going to sign Jackie Bradley Jr. I think he's more likely to go to the Mets than the Red Sox Ooh. or Houston. Um, but because I think he was looking for a multi-year deal. And Boston has that center field prospect coming up. Um, but anyway, I think um, trading Kiermaier is hard also because the return wouldn't be as good as it would have been a few years ago. And they'd also probably have to eat some of his salary, which I think he is still owed like $23 million or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it looks weird whenever you pull it up online because they split the signing bonus over many years. Okay. And I think that's more of like a, that's not that's not reality, right? That money's already been paid. But yeah, it's something yeah. like I don't know, twenty, twenty three, twenty five. It's some something mm-hmm. weird. Yeah. So I mean, I I think Margot would be a good center fielder if they do end up getting rid of Kiermaier one way or another. But I I don't see Yoshi playing in the outfields. I don't. I wouldn't prefer that. Yeah, and if Yoshi's not playing, you know, Meadows has to play right field. Mm-hmm. But then that makes KK feel even more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got a budge too. Yeah. Maybe well, uh, what budge might be the bullpen? You might end up with a traditional bullpen, and And that's what's weird. And then the losers in that scenario are what Ryan Thompson, unless Ryan Thompson is giving you length, he's getting optioned. Trevor (laughs) Richards, um, probably getting optioned. I don't know if he breaks into that mix or not. Not not right away. You know, with everyone healthy, he doesn't. Uh, Fleming, I assume, is going to stay a rotation. But again, that's, this is assuming health. Rich Hill could be injured. Archer is coming back from uh, thoracic outlet syndrome, which has very, very little track record for us understanding from, like Tommy John, you just say Tommy John and you understand the time range to recover. You know, that, that doesn't exist for pitchers with TOS. So I don't know. I feel weird. That's a normal spring for race fans where there's uh, never, never a dull moment, never a dull moment. Um, but yeah, guys, any final thoughts on, on spring training with games getting underway? Uh, don't get hurt. Stay healthy and test negative. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of raise your voice. It feels so good to be back. We've had, some really fun off-season programming, including the debut of the Who's on Worst podcast, hosted by Ashley McLennan and Darby Robinson. I've hopped on there as a producer. We've reviewed a couple great, mo- well, a couple not so great movies, including The Scout and Fever Pitch, which is a personal favorite of mine. Wait, I uh, thought this was the Scout episode. Yeah, this was. We have Scout Girl Report. Yeah. <laughs> um, so make sure to go check out that new podcast. We just dropped another D Rays Bay podcast special. That was the all-time Rays player draft. That's a two-parter. If you've been following D-Rays Bay on Twitter, you've seen the great polls. I won my group. Danny, I believe your team also won their group. Correct. So we'll probably be matching up either in the semifinals or the finals. Uh, so make sure to keep tuned to that and, and vote in the polls. Vote for the the Padres. I don't know if anyone caught that. P-O-D. 
I think it's not clever. I don't know. I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but once again, you know, thank you guys for listening. And make sure to head on over to theracebay.com to check out all of the great off-season content. Now spring training content, I should say. And thank you to Danny Russell for hopping on and to Andrea Arcadapani for making her Raise Your Voice debut. I'll talk to you guys next week.